expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 160 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where Nick, this is the kind of time of year where I, I kind of feel like all of our friends come back from their spring break, right? I mean, we got Gotham that came back, you know, Arrow's back, Flash is back. It's like, it's like our friends have come home and now we can say, hey, so what were you guys up to on spring break? Not to mention Lucifer's coming back too. And that's it, it, weird, man. I mean, this, this is what's cool. It's kind of like, you know, they're all coming back so we can all watch these great shows again. But part of me is kind of like, oh, man, now I have so much more television to watch. Right, <laughs> it's like you were so chill, just kind of kicking back. And I was like, oh, I don't need to get caught up on this show because I'm already caught up. And now that everything's coming back at once, it's like, what? Yeah, now the DVR is going to be pretty full. Yeah, and speaking of being full, of course, we're going to give our full names right now. I am the Merc with One Arm, Nick Pataglia, alongside. I'm James Witham, and yeah, man, I mean, speaking of friends, we had Cameron Bicandova on last week, telling us everything that happened with Gotham, and we're going to be talking about the return of Gotham coming up in Geek Tame, but we've got a pretty big guest this week as well. Yeah, man, Josh Segarra, of course, he plays Adrian Chase and Prometheus on Arrow. He's going to be joining us to talk about, you know, Prometheus and Adrian Chase breaking Oliver Queen. What was it like being... You know, there on the set that day they shot that episode where you know Oliver's in the cell. He's talking about you know liking killing people and where, where how dangerous is Prometheus going to be? You know, after it's he's been outed basically as Adrian Chase, and so it's going to be really really fun and interesting to talk to Josh about that. And I mean, I'm just I'm just interested to see how excited he is about this role, you know, because I've seen other interviews with him where he's like, you know, it's just so cool to be on the set and stuff like that. So we'll ask him about that kind of stuff as well because, man, Arrow is really, this has been one of the best seasons of Arrow since I think maybe season two. Well, here's the thing. Remember what they talked about before the season even aired and they talked about how they wanted to go away from the whole magic aspect. They wanted to be more grounded and go back to, you know, that, again, that early seasons, those early seasons, that season two and stuff like that, where the characters, you liked them because they were badasses and then you didn't, you know, where you didn't find yourself kind of like wavering between them and like, well, I like, I don't like this one character because they're too whiny. I like other characters are not doing this. This is really one of those seasons where, and I know I talk about all the time where I'm like, you know, after season five, the seasons start to go down and stuff like that, or, or might kind of see the end at the light, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel there for for a show. But with this, it's kind of like this season has breathed new life into the show. I think into the characters because we saw Oliver be broken. Now, yep. like, well, where is he going to go? And now Team Arrow is disbanded. So what's going to happen? And it's just going to be really intriguing because it's kind of like. What they did, and I'm talking about Guggenheim and the writers and everybody else on the show, they just took a stick of dynamite, threw it into the arrow cave, and just blew it up, and they're re- piecing everything back to what they were once were. Absolutely, and, and the way they're putting the pieces back together, and you know, teases of stuff that we've seen in the sizzle reels and stuff too, it's going to be very interesting to see how they close out this season. Yeah, man, it's going to be really, really awesome to talk to Josh. But coming up next, we have a double dose of DC coming your way in terms of what we're reading. Stay tuned and find out what we decided to check out and review this week. Hi, I'm Cameron Beacon Dova from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, nerds, it's time we go into the Batcave and we pull out our long boxes because it's time to discuss what we're reading this week. And James, both of us have Batman titles this week, but you're going to go first because your comic has to deal with the end of a certain arc. Absolutely. So if you haven't read Batman 21 yet, we might get a little spoilery on that issue, but we will not spoil this issue for you, and it's the Flash 21, which is, of course, the button part two, and we all know what that means. Before we get to that, of course, it was written by Joshua Williamson. Howard Porter does the art. Hi-Fi on the colors. Steve Wands on the letters. The amazing cover by Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson. I did not want to leave them off of this. But this literally picks up right where the last issue of Batman leaves off. And again, spoiler if you haven't read Batman number 21, but you see the dead body of Reverse Flash, Eobarthon, in the Batcave, and it just kicks off with Barry Allen investigating. And, and Nick, you were just saying, and I'll agree, I'll agree with this, is that the, first, the last issue of Batman was such a quick read. Yeah, man. I mean, here's the thing. Tom King is one of our, of course, he's a close friend of ours, but he's also one of the best writers out there. And, I mean, when you have 21 pages of just an all-out brawl and a fight between Reverse Flash, Eobarthon, and Bruce Wayne as Batman, I mean, it, it was brutal, too. And that's what I liked about Tom's writing, too, is that you just see the brutality. I mean, Batman's stabbing Eobard in the foot with a batarang. And, you know, it's it's you know he's being thrown through computers and everything else like that. And it's just... Wow, and, and it was just such a fluid read. I mean, all the action was fluid, the, the and it was just great. Like the fact of the matter is, remember, this all happens like within a minute. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, exactly. This, because this we were talking about reverse fight. flash here. Yeah. Well, remember, remember, because the flash when he goes to 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 the Batcave, he's like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, give me, give me a minute. And so the entire time, the book is counting down. And you're getting close, and it's like, oh my god, Batman's getting the shit kicked out of him. Oh my god, is he going to die? And then you see the whole thing with the button, and I'll tell you, since this is your book, I'll let you go forward and talk about it. Yeah, man, and one of the things where where after the death of Eobarthon, because of what happened there, what kicks off is the investigation. What I love that they highlight in this book is the similarities between Batman and The Flash, Bruce Wayne and Barry Allen, as far as they both have that very investigative mindset and, and they go into talking and Barry talks about in his inner monologue about how, you know, why he has that investigative mind and what it was like to join the Justice League and, and meet Batman Bruce Wayne for the first time and stuff like that. So a lot of the beginning of this issue. And there is some interrogation in this issue as well because, you know, Barry wants to find out exactly what happened here. And, you know, this is Eobard Thawne. So yeah, they take that into consideration too. Is that this is a very, very big deal for Barry? Beside what's going, aside from what's going on with the button itself, this is a big deal, big moment for Barry. So during this investigation and trying to find out exactly what's going on and exactly what happened. Again, I cannot spoil this issue, so I'm not going to tell you what it is. But there is something that you see in this issue that we have not seen in DC Comics in a long, long time, and it is a big deal. I will say this. It's something we haven't seen for a reason for a very, very long time. And it, it, it is part a big part of this story going forward. As a matter of fact, it is the reason that we see what we see at the end of this issue, which is something that 
I mean, I guess anytime you're dealing with certain arcs that have happened in the past from DC Comics, it's not impossible that this would happen. But a certain thing happens in the very last page of this book that, as a DC Comics fan, I don't know that you'd think you'd ever see. Yeah, man, and I want to say this. Your tightroping skills are some of the best. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I want everybody to read it be, you know, excited like that, you know, like I was and like you're going to be when you read it because we don't read each other's books before we do this either, so I'm certainly not going to spoil it for you because I want I want to get your re- I always get the te- we get text reactions from each other <laughs> yeah. when we read each other's books. So I want that text reaction and I want the reader to be able to go Oh my God! Did that just happen? Oh my God! Am I seeing this? We haven't seen this since Redacted Issue, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so, and I know that our buddies at DC Comics are sitting there with wiping sweat from their brow, going, "Don't say it! Don't say it! Don't say it!" <laughs> so, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to ruin it for you, but I mean, just—I mean, if I'm running down the particulars, the art is is great. I mean, J- Joshua Williamson from the beginning in this Flash Rebirth run has done a phenomenal job. One of the top three stories in Rebirth, easily for me, has been The Flash and the way that he's presented Barry Allen. He's just done such a fantastic job. And there's been so many great stories, but that's how high I rank it. And this one, and just pairing him with Batman, and I'm sure that Tom and Joshua have been comparing notes going back and forth with each other because you can kind of tell in both books, I think, you know, the, the kind of play that they have of each other and just knowing where this book's gonna go and what the button means we all know what it means the fact that these two guys are at the helm it gives me the utmost confidence and that's why both of those books are gonna be a pull for me going forward absolutely and of course joshua williamson's also somebody we're gonna try again on the show soon too i mean his writing on the flash alone has been phenomenal Absolutely, and you know we were told we had to we had to wait for this arc to start. Well, maybe now that it's started, we'll have to take care of that business. Exactly. Well, speaking about arcs that have started, I did a Batman series that just started recently, and it has to deal with one of my favorite characters as well. I'm talking about Batman Shadow number one of six from DC and Dynamite. Now, it was released through DC, but of course, it's a partnership they have with Dynamite Comics because you're bringing the shadow in. And it is written by Scott Snyder and our buddy Steve Orlando. The art is done by Riley Rosmo, and colors are done by Ivan Placencia. The letters are done by Clem Robbins. Now, I want to say this. If you're wondering what the art in this book looks like, if you read the Death of Margot Lane shadow run from Matt Wagner that Dynamite put out uh, a few months ago and you look at All-Star Batman and you mix those art styles together that's what you get with this that's really cool I've always been a fan of Riley's art anyway so I was I was stoked to see he was oh Riley does a great job the art in this again it has a kind of like All-Star Batman mixed with like an older kind of not flat but just like old style art kind of thing because this is it, it's, it's the way that the art's done in this. It's very kind of... Uh, the, the way I can put this in certain scenes, uh, and this is a, this is a, a compliment, is dusty. Uh, so it has kind of, kind of like older look to it. I see what you're saying. I think I see what you're saying. Um, I mean, there are parts of it where it's really clean, but for the most part, it feels like you're looking at like a... Like, like you're reading like a classic book in a sense, which is really, really cool. 
And I'll say this, too. Uh, you know, the colors on this are phenomenal. Because, I mean, you like, when I, like for example, there was a scene where Bruce Wayne is outside talking to a certain person who I'll get to in a little bit. And they're outside in, like, the Alps, and it's just beautiful, and it's really, like, again, it has a, like, old-school flashback kind of layer of dust over kind of look to it. And then you get to the modern tech, whenever modern technology is being used, it's very clean and stuff like that. So it's really kind of a nice difference of looks there, in a sense. And the story centers around a murder happening in Gotham, and it involves the name Lamont Cranston. Now, here's the thing. Lamont Cranston's been dead for over 50 years, but the mystery is, is he really dead? And that's what Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, is trying to get down to. And I will say this, I cannot go into further story without spoiling anything, but the ending to this book, you want a book that you immediately want the second issue to. We talk about it all the time. You know, I want issue two now. I want the next issue now. The way that this book ends with Bruce Wayne, the kind of encounter he has, makes you go, holy hell. And that made me go, holy shit, this is amazing. And I will say this, there is a part early on in the book where you read, remember when we talked about when the, when the series was first announced, we talked about Nerd News about, oh, what's it going to be like when you see you know, the, the shadows laugh yep. with Batman? You get that early on in the book, and you're like, Yes. Nice, nice. Yes, they give you that payoff. They give you that nice payoff they were all looking forward to in the beginning. And the way that they set up this whole story is really interesting, too, with who it involves and who the person that died is. And really because what they do is they make you – and this is one thing I like about this mystery book is that they make it a full mystery. This isn't Batman, you know, punching his way out of, out of a problem or, or just a big brawl he had with Bane, you know, back in Tom's issues, you know, a while back, which was a great issue, by the way. Uh, this is where you want to talk about, you know, the world's greatest detective. This is that book. This is that book where you see him really do a lot of the more detective work than physical hand-to-hand combat fighting. There are some scenes where he does do that, but this is more of him using his brain than his brawn. I will say this. Scott Snyder is the king of the ending of a book and making you want the next book. For oh, yeah. some reason, he just has this handy knack for when he knows he wants to give you that nice, juicy little nugget at the end to make you just absolutely, positively have to have that next issue. Man, he does that every single time. And I will say this, too. If you're a big fan of Shadow like I am, if you've read The Death of Margot Lane and other Shadow books, you know, Justice Inc., the Justice Inc. series and stuff like that, there are people from the Shadow's life that are in this book. And I will say this, they are a bit older, that's all I'll say. See, now, now you know how much of a fan of the Shadow I am, too, so now, now you've got me wanting to just, you know... And let's just say... Grab the issue and read it now. <laughs> and let's just say, there are scenes, you want to talk about Batman interrogating, and just you want to see how he is as a detective, and just kind of try and get answers out of him? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that delivers on this. This whole story is a, is a definite pull for me. Now, something I am shocked I did not do is, you know, this is, of course, a a DC and Dynamite shared property. I I love the fact that Scott and Steve are working on this, but I was kind of shocked that they didn't get, like, Scott and Matt Wagner to do this. That would have been cool. I think that, 
You know, well, having Matt on the show, we know how much of a big fan he is and how great of a job he did on that Death of Margot Lane arc and some of the other arcs he's done as well. I do think that would have been cool to have those two collaborate on that. And, you know, maybe Matt could have done a variant here and there or something. Yeah, but, I mean, here's the, th- and here's the thing, too. You know, it's just one of those things where you look at it like you have somebody, a writer from DC and a writer from Dynamite kind of thing and they're working together. But, again, we don't know Matt's schedule and stuff like that. Maybe he was busy true, or whatever. True. But I will say this, though. Uh, Steve and, and Scott do a fantastic job with the writing. And, really, again, if, you want, if you're a big fan of mystery books uh, and if you're a fan of – you want to see Batman be more of a detective and not just – somebody who throws his kicks and punches around, this is the type of book. I mean, we do see some conflicts with him, but overall, this is a definite pull for me. Uh, see, now I can't wait to read it. We get, I, might, oh, I, might, I might have to do that now. Oh, dude, it's, it's a great book, and you should go do it right now. Okay, well, we, we do have something else we have to do, though, right? That's right. We do have to talk about Gotham. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that, shall we? So come up next, where we're talking about the return of Gotham. Hey, this is comic book writer Steve Orlando, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we go from a mad city in Gotham to the birth of the Riddler. That's right, Nick. Gotham is back now. Monday's on Fox, as we talked to Cameron Bickendova last week. So let's go over the show itself. Spoiler-filled, by the way. We're going to talk about the re- about the return of Gotham this past Monday. And I just want to say this, man. You know, we, we've been watching Gotham now for a while since, of course, it started, and it's just so great to finally get an episode that's all about Edward Nigma. I mean, hasn't he earned it at this point? I mean, the way, even before the transformation into the Riddler that we saw kind of start, uh, even last season, I would say, kind of started. Um, I think it's, uh, he's, he's earned that. And I mean, it's been building for so long. And I can tell you the Riddler's probably my favorite Batman villain. So I've been waiting for this forever and to see him bring it to life in this episode and they gave us that slow burn throughout the whole episode i was just sitting there grinning from ear to ear just enjoying everything because cory michael smith did a fantastic job in this episode and they had to come back and do an episode about his becoming the riddler because of course after you know before they went on break where he shoots and you know apparently Kills the penguin. We'll get more of that later on. But when he does that, it's like, okay, because this entire time leading up to this, Edward was kind of like seated at the left hand of Penguin. He was kind of his second in command or somebody he could confide in and vice versa. So this was more of like Edward breaking free and finding his own identity. And that's what this whole episode was about. I mean, we saw him taking the drugs and hallucinating that Penguin was there. <laughs> I want to say this, too. Robin Lord Taylor, my God, with a voice, you can sing, brother. Yeah, you he can, can carry sing. a tune, right? Why, I, if we'd have known that when we talked to him at Awesome Con last year, maybe we would have you know, like had a little barbershop tr- trio or something that we could have done together. Yeah, man. And I think that you, know, you look at what they're doing with the show, and again, I love how Edward, since the first season when he, you know, he worked for the GCPD, and he was kind of like that misunderstood, you felt bad for him. And you look at Edward Nigma and his whole transition from Edward to the Riddler, it's all based on tragedy. And there are certain points where, again, what did I say is that makes a great prequel show or a great prequel movie? Show me how these things could have been avoided. So had he not choked out and you know and killed you know Miss Kringle earlier on, that's one thing that could have been avoided. Had 
Penguin not cut the brakes of Isabella and killed her, that right there was another reason. And mm-hmm. with that, I mean, it's just there's so many certain things that could how Riddler could have been avoided. And I like how they they made him more of a tragic character and just somebody who really was at the mercy of other people until his you know the switch got flipped fully and he finally takes his position and we see him with the green suit the iconic green suit and the hat and he becomes that historic batman villain not only that but i mean it goes from tragedy to disrespect when what he's trying to find out you know who's going to be my main adversary he wants it to be jim gordon but oh jim gordon's too busy to play with the riddlers so he has to pick another adversary and i gotta say for the, the for the writing team on gotham to do what they did and have him choose Lucius Fox to be his adversary, I think that was a very, very clever move on their part. Because, I mean, that's one of those things where you almost kind of, after the fact, you go, huh, that really is a good choice. Because if you're going down the list of people on the show right now, who could match wits with the Riddler the best? And Lucius Fox is the is the first name on that list right now. So I think the fact that they decided to choose him and actually give Lucius Fox a nice big role on this in this episode as well was very very cool. So I love the fact that they gave Lucius and then of course you had Harvey in the chair there during that iconic scene. I thought that that was great. And I I just think that was really smart. And one scene I want to point out too in this whole transformation thing was the during the chess tournament when they had that and they had the electric buzzer kind of thing. I don't yeah. know about you, man, but I got, I definitely got Batman, Burton Batman movie vibes from that scene. It almost seemed like that's something that we would have seen in a Tim Burton Batman movie. For some reason, it was like a flashback. I thought that was really cool. Well, it might have been a flashback because at the end of Batman Returns, remember Christopher Walken gets tasered to death. <laughs> so, and then there's that. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but I mean, it, that, that's just one of those things, too, that that it just it felt very Burton-esque, but that was that only moment. They didn't lift the whole thing from it they gave us that little moment and we talked to Cameron about that last week about how you know they give us those little moments but then they go right back into their own identity again and that's another thing that the show does so well they give you if you want to call them easter eggs fine because it's not really an easter egg but if that's what you want to call it whatever they give us those little moments that as fans that make a smile but then they jump right back into their own identity which has been damn damn good so far and what I loved about this episode in terms of the writing and speaking about the writing is that in terms of Edward Enigma, because again, this is an episode that's really dedicated solely to Edward. Of course, there's the thing with Bruce where the court you know, gets his double and has doubles now and knows everything about Bruce. And so there's a body switch, of course, where Bruce is captured and stuff like that. But going back to Edward, what I loved about this writing and just the evolution of him and just his personality, they really captured that sadomasochism of the Riddler where his, he really gets off on people solving his puzzles Mm -hmm. and catching him. I mean, in a sense, that's what it is with him. That's his whole end goal. You know, what did he say in the episode? You know, I want somebody to, to find me and to solve my puzzles. And to play my game. Yep. And to play my game. So again, you look at it, it's kind of a pseudomasochistic kind of a thing. And I like that they capitalized on that and going, looking at Bruce, I love that we have the whole body switch thing. There's little cues of, Alfred kind of knows that something isn't mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with you know, there might have been something that happened. And I want to ask you this: that end scene. Do you think they're now going to go towards everything with Bruce and the monks because of where he looks to be locked up? 
I think they are. I think we're going to see Raish at some point sooner rather than later as well. I think that they might start that process maybe a little earlier than we expected. But I think you're right, though. Going back to Alfred, I don't think he buys it for a second. Now, what he's going to do about it is another story because it's not just knowing that this is the imposter. It's the finding out what happened with the real Bruce and what do you do about that in the short term. And then let's throw Jim Gordon in there as well because you got him and his uncle trying to figure out if he could trust his story and what's really going on there and what the court's intentions are there. So while this was a very Riddler-centric episode, and I loved that, they still gave us other storylines, but it didn't feel forced either. It didn't feel like they were trying to cram a whole bunch of stuff into one episode and then return. It just it seemed to flow so well. And one of the things that we've talked about in shows before, especially if you're going to have multiple storylines going on at once, give me a reason to care about these and don't make me feel like, oh, I really want you to go back to this. I really want you to go back to this. Even though you were totally into that Riddler storyline, I don't know about you, but I didn't feel myself drifting back into that with my mind when we were in the other storylines because they were compelling as well. Exactly, and that's what I liked about the writing and I like how they came back with this episode and this whole coming back from break because it wasn't, you know, while of course you have, you know, Rise of the Villains and then, you know, Mad City, you have these certain themes with certain villains every week or whatever. They gave people, I think we're, we're going to see more of this going forward where they kind of give certain people their arcs. I mean, we've seen that throughout since the beginning of Gotham where, you know, you have a few minutes here on Bruce, a few minutes with Butch and, you know, the, the sirens and stuff like that and so on and so forth. But we see more so see that in this episode where everybody's going to get their sliver of an, of, of an episode. And in the end, if you really think about it, it all kind of ties together in one way or the other. Their webs get kind of tied one way or the other, especially because the Court of Owls is involved. So I like that. And, you know, let's get to, it. of course, that end reveal with Penguin. Of course, we know because this is Gotham, Penguin's not going to die. No. But what do we see? Ivy nurses him back to life, basically. And this is, again, going back to that great writing where she looks at him and says, you look like you're going to puke. And he goes, oh, no. I remembered I have somebody I have to kill. And I'm like... That is awesome. And plus, here's the thing. What we talk about after that episode where Nygma shoots Penguin on the pier, you talked about how off the air you're like, okay, that's a perfect way to really start that whole rivalry between Penguin and Riddler that we both know is, is very famous in the comics and stuff like that. And this is really... That severing, Penguin's finally severed that 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 limb, that that string. Because remember, up until the point where he gets shot, he's pleading with Ed, saying, "I love you, I want to be with you, I want this and this and this." You know, he's begging him, and he's not being nasty with him. Of course, it's the thing with Isabella, but that was more of jealousy and stuff like that. But now it's kind of like, oh no, he's like, "You shot me." There is no way I can go back. You know, yeah. it's not, you know, it, it, there's no way I can have any any t- sort of, of softness in my heart for you anymore because you've crossed that line. You are now my enemy. It's very much over, and I'm glad that we're finally going to get to that rivalry and how much we're going to dig into that in this season. I don't know. I'm actually seeing this carry over into next season of Gotham as well, and we do have this 
kind of, it almost feels like the power is up for grabs, but maybe it really isn't. Maybe it's going to be easy for Penguin to just step back in and just regain that power. But here's another interesting thing that I, I'm, I'm very curious to see if they do going forward. Now, kind of, you could almost say that Penguin is in Ivy's debt. So does Penguin kind of take Ivy under his wing at this point and turn her into the villain that she eventually becomes. Cause she's been borderline. We know she's already done some stuff up to this point, but she hasn't had that moment where she's crossed that line yet. Like Riddler has done. And what we've seen of him becoming the Riddler in this episode, does Penguin give that kind of motivation to Ivy now going forward? It's going to be very interesting, and here's why. Because you have the whole sirens angle going forward, and we don't know if Barbara Gordon's going to end up being Harley Quinn. We don't know. And and here's the thing. Maybe she'll start off as kind of like maybe Penguin's you know right-hand woman, but I think maybe we're going to see her and Kat and Barbara you know, and, and, and Tabitha come together. And, and kind of be this this female group that we we you know is very powerful. Possibly, we could possibly see a Gotham City Sirens sort of storyline within Gotham, where maybe you know who knows maybe Poison Ivy helps Penguin get to reclaim the power of Gotham again, and then something happens, and then they got rebuild their you know the, the Sirens come through the ranks and try to control everything. We don't know, so it's, there's a lot of different avenues they can go with the show and not only that it seems like we could we could end up at the point where the penguin has a hand in almost every villain becoming who they are at some point and and what does that say at the end of the day if he really influenced everyone that much that's that's power right there and that's a lot of stuff to think about going forward so it'll be very interesting you know i don't think we've seen the last of, of of characters like hugo strange because that's the whole you know bruce's bruce's uh double we're going to have to bring in Hugo Strange at some point to kind of explain that away, I assume. I don't think that we're done done seeing Jervis Tetch either. I think we'll see a lot of these villains rear their heads at some point, but it'll be very interesting to see what the culmination is this year because the culmination last year with the whole Hugo Strange thing I think was very, very interesting, and I don't think we're going to see anything similar to that this time. I think it's going to be much more manic this time than it was last year. Here's a question before we move on to our next segment. Jim Gordon. He knows that his uncle is with the Court of Owls and that the court wants him to join them. We know, of course, in the comics what happens with Gordon, how he gets to be commissioner and stuff like that. But what do you hope to see happens with that whole thing with Jim Gordon and his uncle in the court? Because remember, at the end of the day, this is still a show that is centered around Jim. Here's what I want. I'm very interested to see if this happens. First of all, how desperate is Jim for family and for something to latch on to with everything that's happened with Lee and how all that thing's gone down and basically how he's a man on an island. I mean, yeah, he has Harvey now and, you know, they have that kind of brotherly relationship, but he's a man on an island. He's in a desperate situation mentally. So how much does he let that factor in to how he plays going forward or how jaded is he at this point that maybe he wouldn't let that happen. But you mentioned the comics. At what point do we maybe start to see that fissure between Gordon and Bullock that we know at some point, I mean, go to Batman year one. If you've read that, do we get that level of division between Bullock and, 
and Gordon at some point. I'll be very interested to see if we end up getting that or if they keep them together as a team unit. And that could start to happen based on whether or not Jim Gordon decides to have a relationship with the court, even if it's as a double agent kind of thing in this season. So I'll be very interested to see how that goes. And that's going to do it for our discussion about Gotham's return to television. But coming up next, we have a bunch of nerd news to get to, including, to paraphrase Paul Revere, the mutants are coming. The mutants are coming. This is Tim Rozon from Winona Earth on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time we sit down on the couch and we go through all the various types of streaming services because it's time for what? News. And speaking of streaming services, the reason why I said streaming services is because DC Entertainment is actually getting into streaming with the help, of course, from Warner Brothers. This, of course, is according to the Hollywood Reporter. And what's going to happen is they're going to have their own service to launch with a couple of properties, James. Absolutely. Throw Deadline in there as well as The Source because it seems like everybody and their brother in DC Entertainment from Greg Berlanti to Jeff Johns himself is going to be part of this DC-branded service, that's what they're calling it right now from DC Entertainment, that's going to be debut in 2018. But Nick, not only did they give us that information, we now know that, oh yeah, you remember that Teen Titans show that was supposed to be on TNT? Well, that's now going to be part of the live-action Titans show of this streaming service. Not only that, Young Justice fans, you finally know it's happening. This is 100% for sure, and you know where it's going to be. Young Justice Outsiders is going to be a part of that as well. Of course, that's the third season of Young Justice, and I think the reason for the Young Justice being part of the streaming service is because of how long it was and what it took for it to get a third season on Netflix and stuff like that. So, again, I think it's a smart move. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. So, of course, recently we got the sad news that Powerless has been canceled, basically, uh, with three episodes left in their first season. So we're not going to be able to see the final three episodes. Do you think that with DC creating this, this service and we're seeing what's being put on it, do you think that not only will DC in the future look at shows like Powerless and stuff like that that don't do well or get canceled prematurely, on regular TV, do you think that they would kind of say, okay, you know what, we're going to take these shows or maybe even create other different shows and just put them on this service solely for that purpose or just for just to put it on there and give them content. Do you think that maybe Marvel will follow suit with that as well and some other publishers? It's one of those things where not only can you do that and you can also put on, like a, you could say put, put the first season of Powerless on there and see how it tests out. And if it just happens to be popular on the streaming service, then that gives you reason to do that second season. But here's the other thing. Think about this. This is how you save shows. And I'm guessing that there's not a whole, there's not a huge budget for Powerless. And you're also, if you're DC, you're taking creative control back because you're not having to listen to NBC. And I'm not saying it was NBC's, you know, they, they were the reason that Powerless got canceled or anything like that. I don't know exactly who you can point the finger at there. But if you're DC and Warner Brothers, you take back creative control of your own content and you basically get to do what you want with it. And and maybe that would actually help it going forward. And there are a ton of other things that you could do with this. I'm going to throw this out there again because I won't shut up about it until I see it actually happening. I know they're doing it in animation. 
You could do Constantine. If you really wanted to bring live-action Constantine back, you could absolutely do that, especially if this animated season on CWC that's coming up becomes popular. You've got the streaming service coming out in 2018. Why not at least explore the possibility? Maybe not as one of the first shows out of the gate because you want to see how Titans does. You want to see how Young Justice does. You want to see how the subscription... We don't even know what the subscription is going to be like for this. You want to see how all that shakes out before you do more. But what this does is it opens the door for so many possibilities going forward that DC could do with this and keep control of their content. The way I look at the streaming service is this, and I want to jump piggyback on what you said about Constantine. I think DC, the reason why, a big reason why I think this is happening is DC is looking at their properties outside, of course, of CW and how they've gotten canceled or they've gotten moved and they don't like it. I think they're sick and tired of it. I think you look at Constantine and Powerless on NBC and they're like, well, wait a minute, there's two shows right there that didn't fare well on NBC. Well, maybe, you know what, they'll fare better on, on with us because, again, as you said, we can give people more creative control. We won't be like NBC and, and stuff like that in terms of you know studios and, and how they want to run things, really. We'll give people a little bit more leeway. And also... Here's the thing. You look at Supergirl. What happened with Supergirl and CBS? And then that mm-hmm. got moved. You know, that got didn't get picked up. And now it was in limbo for a while until CW said, "We'll take her." You know, right? And, exactly. You know, and, and and so I think that you know this is a way for DC to kind of be like that. That kind of like that protective parent of like you know, and then that that safety net of like, okay, if this show doesn't fare well, like for example, if Krypton doesn't fare well in sci-fi. I think you would see DC say, you know what, come here, Krypton, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll put you on our streaming service. And Gotham's been on the bubble on Fox the last couple of years. You know, we just got done talking about how great Gotham is, how, how easy would it be to just slide Gotham right in there. And this takes stuff like the cable companies out of the equation. You don't have right. to worry about dealing with, you know, maybe uh, Time Warner, whoever drops the CW from, from their service because they can't negotiate a contract. And then all of a sudden you lose that market in the ratings. And people might be saying, well, you know, what about the budget? You couldn't do Supergirl on a streaming service. Okay, well, I'm going to answer that by saying success breeds success. Well, look how Netflix started out and the stuff that they were doing, and look at all the stuff that they're able to do now. This is Warner Brothers. They've got money. So if all of a sudden Titans is hugely successful, Young Justice is hugely successful, and then that trickles down into other shows that they decide to do and original programming, kind of like what they're doing in Netflix and Marvel and stuff like that, you just keep going down the line, and pretty soon you're making millions, maybe billions of dollars, and you can do whatever the hell you want. And I want really, again, piggyback on what you just said, Netflix and Marvel. I think DC right now looks at what Marvel's doing, not only with Netflix and the whole Daredevil Jessica Jones universe, but with Hulu. Remember, because they have uh, a show, a couple shows on Hulu getting ready yep. to go and, and stuff like that. So Marvel, they see Marvel kind of taking over this whole streaming service kind of thing. Like, well, wait a minute, we want to put our own footprint on this as well. And we, and in a sense, we don't want to be beholden to the Netflixes and to the Hulus. We want to be our own thing. So I think that when you look at that, I think this is a kind of a, a, a sort of a power play by DC. 
Yeah, and you've got a backlog of content that you can also piggyback off of if you wanted to do that as well. I mean, look what they did with Boomerang. When they made Boomerang oh, yeah. an almost exclusively streaming service, I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, if that's what you want, if that's the kind of content you're looking for, that old school cartoon content, you pay for the subscription service and you get exactly that. And I think that's what DC wants to do. And DC is also seeing reading the tea leaves right now that and you were talking about this actually in a completely different and on a completely different topic you were posting about this on uh, Facebook this week about how people are cutting the cord and that's oh, evident yeah. we have talked about that at length on this show and people are also leaning towards these subscription type services. So, you know, like if you have Amazon and you can add Showtime or add HBO and you could do that on, on Hulu and some other services as well, or you could just get HBO on its own. People are starting to gravitate towards that. That's the future of what we're looking at. So DC saying, rather than being left, left behind and not being able to do this, let's do this now and get the ball rolling so we can be ahead of the game before this actually starts to really happen. And also, here's the thing, too, with this is that, you know, I mentioned the whole cord cutting thing. Last year, over 600,000 people canceled their cable subscriptions. That's a lot of money. That's billions. That's a huge amount of money that the cable company has lost. And you know why this is great for fans, too? I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. But you know why this is great for fans is that if you're a DC fan, this now allows them to do whatever they want. Whatever character they even want to try out. You know, you finally want that booster. You got booster gold fans. You want that booster gold series, <laughs> or do you want like an animated series? They could try it out now. What hurts them from doing six episodes of that on their own streaming service to see how it works? Well, here's the thing too. Is remember because what just came out recently from DC on DVD, the Judas Contract, Teen Titans. DVD sales aren't really what they used to be because, of course, you have Netflix and Hulu, and people, you know, instead of having to have bookshelves full of DVDs and boxes, basically. You can just have a whole library at your disposal, you know, via digitally. So maybe DC says, okay, we're going to still put some stuff on DVD, but really we're going to put all of our shit, all of our movies and stuff like that on our streaming service now. And it and, also allows them to control the release dates of when they put them oh, on God, the streaming yeah. service too. Oh, God, yeah. So I think that this would be really interesting. Of course, I think before I really dive into this subscription service, I want to wait and see. Kind of like with Nintendo Switch, you want to see what the library is going to be. Of course, how much it's going to cost and stuff like that. If it's like 7 10 bucks, it's fine. Because, you know, here's the thing. Instead of paying uh, – let me ask you this. and This might be a personal question. How much do you pay for your cable? <sighs> All in or just the TV part? Just the TV part. Oh, let me see. Because, you know, you got the DVR to factor in there. I think I'm paying, what, 80 to 100 right now, depending on... I mean, if you if you take equipment fees out of the equation, probably 80 Okay, so Okay, so I have a Netflix account, Hulu, and HBO right now, okay? So I'm paying like 15 for HBO now. I'm paying around 15 20 for Hulu, and I'm paying like 7 to 10 bucks for Netflix. So I'm paying what you're paying for a shit ton more. Yeah, and if you don't give a damn about live sports, you could save even more money. That's the other thing. And well, live sports are on – well, live – sorry to cut you off. But live sports, I mean, Amazon's going to start showing NFL yep, games. Yep. And, you know, Twitter had them last year and stuff like that. And, of course, now the NBA, I believe, is, is starting to roll out something where you can buy, like, individual games for, like, X amount of dollars or whatever. Or you can follow your team on, like, NBA.com and watch their games for, like, 
80 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever the fuck. And again, that's that's the other thing. We're trending now in that direction. So if anybody should be shaking their boots here, it's the cable companies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of boots, some boots that are going to be hitting the big screen, of course, are going to be filled by mutants. And, well, James, in 2018, the mutants are coming. The goddamn motherfucking mutants are coming. Yeah, and they're coming in droves, by the way, because in 2018... We're going to have New Mutants. That's going to be on April the 13th, 2018. Then you're going to have Deadpool 2 on June the 1st, 2018, followed by, oh, by the way, finally confirmed X-Men Dark Phoenix in November on November 2nd of 2018. Whew, talk about throwing absolutely all the kids in the pool in one year. The X-Men go marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. They join Weapon X two by two, hurrah, hurrah. They get the animantium in their bones, and then they slash and dice and people and kill and everything. And this whole lyrics are fucked up, but I don't care because the mutants are marching in. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the only problem with all of that marching. Look at this list and tell me that you see more than one movie on that list that's a sure thing. Well, I mean, it's, I think that they're going to be made. I mean, you know, you also got X-Force. Oh, they're going to be made, be but I'm talking too. about being good. Oh, Deadpool 2 is, I think, so far the only one. Because, I mean, here, let's put it this way. Like, Deadpool said in the first movie, these timelines are fucking confusing. Yep. So, of course, you have New Mutants, which, of course, I think, here's what I think they should do. I think this is what you definitely should do, okay? Do Dark Phoenix first. That should be I mean, the first movie to come out. And here's why. Apocalypse, I did not like it. Again, going back again, I'm sorry to say this again, but they should have ended with Days of Future Past. That was it. They just had a perfect ending right there. You had Wolverine and Logan coming out. They they just came out. So, you know, you're you're ending certain characters, basically. And now Phoenix, I mean, sorry, the last time we saw Phoenix Saga be done, it was shit. Like, it, like, The Last Stand was terrible. It was fucking bad. True, and, but this is the one X-Men movie other than Days of Future Past I think that people have been looking forward to the most, and that's Dark Phoenix. I so. don't think so, because I've seen people kind of be like, they fucked it up before, so now it's kind of like, oh, God. Uh, and, and especially with, with Apocalypse as well. So I, it's just one of those things where it's kind of like, they need to wrap up, I think, this X-Men universe and focus solely on, like, okay, this whole whatever this whole patrick stewart x-men shit or whatever the fuck is is done you know go with deadpool and and relaunch rebrand yourself with new mutants yeah and i think that logan should have closed the door on all of that once you saw logan that should have been the that should have been it for that x-men universe for now because that i mean even though it's not connected i get that even though it i mean it is but you know what i mean it's it's very yeah, much in yeah. the future but that could have been the soft closing of the door on like you said that patrick stewart x-men universe and then you go with new mutants and you go with deadpool and see how that goes for a while and then at some point if you want to relaunch you can even relaunch the x-men at some point with dark phoenix if you wanted to later on down the line but to cram them all into one year? I don't know about that, man. Well, that's, this is a, and this is kind of what the problem is, of course, with the whole confusing timelines because, again, you have Deadpool, you have New Mutants, you have Dark Phoenix, and now you're going to have, of course, X-Force coming on later on as well. So it's kind of like, you know, Cable can time travel. So was he going to go through the Patrick Stewart universe? Is he going to go to the McAvoy universe? What the hell is he going to do? It's just, 
Fox, I think, really, uh, to be honest, I think before this whole dead, the whole Deadpool thing happened, I think Fox was kind of like, you know, going back to first class. I think they they wanted to retcon everything, and they, again, they you did that perfectly with Days of Future Past. Yep. You redid every single wrong, and yep. you could have built off of that. But no, we gotta do Apocalypse. We gotta do a Young Jean Grey. We got it's like you you had it, you yep. had it. You could have just built it from there. You could have done what DC did with Rebirth. Like, the New 52, it doesn't exist anymore. We're, you know, Last Stand doesn't exist anymore. We're going to go this route. And, and you could have done it, but they, they now they want to make everything all cloudy and, and, and just confusing. And it's just like, uh, you had it. You, you had the ball and you, you dropped it. You right. had a 25-point fucking lead and you blew it. Right, and when 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 the Hollywood Reporter put the story out, and I saw the the the, the way they were going to put it together, my first thought in my head was, well, they've got to have a plan then. If you're going to do this this way and structure it this way and throw them all into one year, they must have a plan. But then I thought about all the things you just said, and I went, maybe they're just throwing shit at the wall and see what climbs down <laughs> like that. Remember that octopus? That octopus that you got, you threw it on the wall or on the fridge, and then it would slowly start to, like, kind of fall its way down the fridge really slowly and stick to stuff. That I, I almost feel like that's what they're doing. Wait, you threw a live octopus at a fridge? No, you don't remember the little... For anybody that's older than Nick that remembers the little... <laughs> remember the little octopus toy that you could get that was sticky and you threw it up against the wall and it would slowly... It was on, it's been on Family Guy and everything they've referenced it on there and it kind of falls down the wall slowly, sticking as it goes on its way down. That's kind of what I feel like they're doing right now. God, your toy sucked when you were Come a on, kid. Come on, Google it. Google it. Anybody that's young and doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, Google it and you will understand. <laughs> Well, speaking of toys, James, our final story deals with video games. And, of course, a big trailer that a lot of people are talking about right now is Call of Duty World War II. Now, here's the thing. Of course, this is Call of Duty going back to their roots, to what a lot of people want them to go to. They didn't want They retired the whole robots and, you know, cyber stuff and everything like that. This is them going back to the roots. I think we're seeing a lot of this now because I think – a big catalyst for them going back to their World War II roots is because they saw what happened with Battlefield One. Yep, and they saw Battlefield One go to that. I believe it was World War One that they went to, and how big of a success that game was. So it's kind of like, yeah, let's go back to our roots and retrace our steps. Yeah, and they said, okay, fine. Well, if you do World War One, then we're going to do World War Two, and then they and then they go that route. And I mean, it's visually striking. Let's not just let's get that out of the way right now. It's absolutely positively right. visually striking. But here, here's the danger with this, too. When you do World War II and you do World War One, Vietnam and stuff like that, it's not just about the gameplay and it's not just about the visuals. It's about capturing that time period, too. And how yeah. far into that are they going to go? I know this is a first-person shooter and maybe that's not necessarily on everybody's priority to-do list. But at some point, first-person shooter stuff is going to get old. And I and that's the way I've kind of felt about Call of Duty lately. Like you said, with all the robots and the zombies and robot space zombies and stuff like that. Like, I'm tired of that shit. <laughs> uh, give me something tangible. Give me something that's going to make you kind of feel like you're in there and you're, and you're part of it. And something that actually happened but make it a fictional version of that so it's not just about being the first person shooter and all the cool weapons that you can use it's about capturing the era and giving you something that you can 
you know, kind of put yourself into and like feel like you're there. Because to me, when you're playing a first-person shooter, that's kind of the point. Am I wrong? Well, here's the thing. Well, no, but here's the thing from the trailer. It looks like, you know, Josh DeMello's in it, and there's some infighting going on between you and him and stuff like that. And you want to talk about, you know, games that, especially, you know, first-person shooter and games that deal with war, a game that will always stick out to me, and it's a shame we don't make these games anymore, is the Medal of Honor series. Medal of Honor Rising Sun, uh, which was released, like, in the early 2000s, was really, it really immersed you in that World War II setting because what was the first level they put you on? Pearl Harbor. Yeah. You were on the ship of uh, that was being attacked by the Japanese in Pearl Harbor, and it was just amazing. Like you want to talk about being immersed? It was amazing that first yes. level, and and so with this with Call of Duty World War Two, I'm not gonna lie. You know, I know we taught we you know one of the running jokes on the show was we bash Call of Call of Duty bros and be like you know and stuff like that as the Mountain Dew drinking whatever you know frat boys that play this game for the most part but honestly going back to world war ii you're getting a, you're bringing a lot of people back in and i'm not gonna lie i'm actually probably gonna buy this game because it looks fascinating as all hell because you're giving me that world war ii era you give me kind of a sort of a simpler time in terms of fighting where everything's you know of course everything's mm-hmm. not like grappling hooks and cybernetic and everything else like that so you're giving me that kind of like basic fighting that that, that i like that that you know, really makes war games really amazing. And you know what Call of Duty realized? They realized what Michael Bay was saying about the Transformers movies, is that love it or hate it, you're going to buy it anyway. So if the dude bros don't like the fact that they're doing this and maybe they're changing things up a little bit, it doesn't matter because it's Call of Duty and they're going to buy it anyway. So what Call of Duty said was like, you know what, We're gonna, they're going to buy the game anyway. Let's try and draw those fans back in that we might have lost with some of the stuff that we're doing. Are people that have just never been interested in a Call of Duty game before, let's do this, like you said, go back to our roots, rebirth it, blow everything up, and say, this is what we're going to do now. And then if this succeeds, and hopefully it does, what we might get is this linear progression, either forwards or backwards, for a Call of Duty game in the future that they could do and keep it in this style. Because I'm with you, man. If this is what they're going to do, now you've got me interested. And that's going to do it for Nerd News. But coming up next, we're heading to Star City as we're going to be sitting down with Adrian Chase himself. That's right, Josh Cigar, who also plays Prometheus, is going to be joining us to discuss everything Arrow what it was like shooting that scene where he broke Oliver Queen. He did something that nobody else could do. We're going to ask him about that and more. Stay tuned. Our interview with Josh Segarra is coming up next. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we're very excited that Arrow is finally back on the CW and headed towards the big, big finale. We know it's going to be a huge showdown between Oliver Queen and this guy right here. That's right. We've got Adrian Chase, Prometheus himself, Josh Segura on the line. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm pumped to be. Uh, I'm pumped to be talking to you guys. I mean, we're pumped because of everything that's been going on with Adrian Chase. And I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you were the first one to know what was going to be ha- what was going to be happening with the big Prometheus reveal and everything. But how early on did you know? And how fun was it to see all the speculation online and on social media? Oh man, that was that was probably the best part of this job, you know that that I felt like I was, uh, you know, I grew up a wrestling fan. I'm still a big wrestling fan, so I, I've been uh, I've been using the term kayfabe a lot, yes. and I'm sure you guys know what kayfabe means, you oh, know. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I've been living, 
kayfabe, which has been the best, you know? So living in kayfabe, I get to live out my pro wrestling dreams, bro. I, uh, I get to walk down the streets. I had a couple people ask me, you know, we were on episode, I think the Vigilante episode had just aired, episode seven. And I had a guy uh, stop me, and he's like, hey, man. He's like, I got to ask. I was like, yeah, what's up? He's like, all right, I won't tell anybody. I was like, yeah, what's up? And, of course, I'm thinking, hey, he's going to tell me you're Prometheus, you know? And he's like, so are you vigilante? And I was like, dude, don't tell anybody, but yeah, bro. And he was like, anybody, I won't tell anybody, you know? And I was like, for sure, man, for sure. So I left that day, and I was like, that poor dude is literally going to go back to his boys and be like, yo, I got the biggest spoiler, you know? <laughs> it was fun, man. Like, I, I uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure to give the fans of the show a fun ride, you know? And, and that's what the writers gave me. And, and, and every episode, you know, I got to learn a little bit more about him as well. You know, I, ha- I have this guy in my brain. I have him in my body. But at the same time, I'm learning about him as we move, right? So to get to, to feel like we're living in this secret and I get, to, I get to present him to the world and know that at some point we're going to reveal him. Oh, man, it, it was, it's been a fun journey, dude. It's been really fun. And, of course, speaking of bodies, sometimes they're meant to be broken. And when it came to breaking Oliver, you know, Slade Wilson couldn't do it. Malcolm Merlin couldn't do it. Damien Dark couldn't do it. Even the league themselves couldn't do it. But Adrian did, and he also got him to, of course, admit that he liked killing people. So what do you believe was the biggest catalyst in Adrian's ability to do that? And also describe what filming that scene in that episode was like. Ah, uh, man, like, okay, when I, when I first got here, okay, I, you know, in my head, I was like, you know what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to work out. I'm going to get strong. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get some agility, uh, agility training in, you know, cause when I want to get there, I want to be, I want to be bigger, stronger, faster than Stephen Amell. Let me tell you, man, it took me about three seconds to realize that there's nobody bigger, stronger, and faster than that cat right there. Okay. <laughs> oh, so yeah. when I realized that, it was like, you know, I was like, when I realized that, I was like, okay, we're going to have to take a different tactic here, you know? And uh, when I first spoke, when we first, the first, first conversation we had about Prometheus, you know, Mark and Wendy and I, you know, they, 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 they mentioned, you know, Hannibal Lecter and, and they mentioned, you know, we're, we're trying to find, you know, we, we want this guy to, 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 to be able to break Oliver because we haven't seen that yet. So for me, right, I, 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 get to, I, I get to work and, I, and I, I'm reading these episodes and, I, and the episode 17, which is, the, which is the cell, you know, that was the episode that I was waiting for because everything else is, is we're, we're, we're setting the stage, right? We're setting the stage, we're, we're dropping, we're dropping the, the important parts that we need to know that the chase is getting close to him, you know? Chase isn't trying to fight this guy. Chase, if anything, is trying to get him to trust. You know, because he knows the end game. Chase knows what he's getting to. If he can get him to trust him, then I can break him, you know? And that's what I think was beautiful is that if you go back and watch, you know, there are, there are some really fun scenes that I got to play with Steve, man. And, and, and we had, me and that guy, dude, that guy's the bomb. Like, we had so many conversations about who was going to take each moment, you know, because we got to build the chase up to make him look strong, but we also got to keep the arrow. We got to keep Oliver in that journey. You know, we can't break him quick. The dude is, is, is him, you know, we got to take him there. So that's when we finally get to that, that episode, man. And you asked about what it was like shooting that episode. 
that was so much fun and and a grind and the best grind you could ask for man you know that guy that guy had those chains on all day he did not take those shackles off you know and we were in that cell and we were playing those scenes and you're ramping up and you're trying to you're trying to take it to the place that we know that that the fans deserve you know we can't just break him willy-nilly nobody's been able to do it before so we got to get into his brain and that's what i think chase does chase Chase opened his heart, you know, like he got into his heart first and then got into his brain. So when he gets to torture him, man, like that was fun. It was fun. And, I, and, and uh, you know, the, uh, the real part of that is that I loved it, bro, because in real life, like I said, if that man were to break out of those chains, Woo, I'd be running so fast. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice. It was nice to be like, so Steve's uh, Steve's pretty locked up in there, right? Like, he's not going to swing on me or anything? Okay, cool. And then I can go in there and mess with him a little bit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's more about, it, let's talk a little bit more about that because it's more than just that because as Adrian points out, everyone around Oliver suffers eventually. So clearly the whole team is a target at this point. So other than Oliver himself, what other member of Team Arrow do you feel like poses the biggest threat to Prometheus going forward? Hmm. Okay. Good question, man. You know, I think that the, 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 the quick answer to that is Diggle, right? Because, because you get to see Chase and Diggle had those few episodes uh, in the middle of the season, remember where he's getting them out, you know? And, and I think that there was when, 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 when Queen asked Chase to do this for him, you know, to do him this favor, that's Chase going, okay, another little victory. Now I get to go to his, to his man. I'm going to get to find, I'm going to get his man to trust me as well. Okay. The man that he trusts the most, he's also on my team now too. Okay, cool. And then of course the biggest pawn, you know, will be, you know, a, he knows the people that are close to, to, to Oliver. He knows that, you know, he tells him, he's like, are you dating Susan Williams right now? Okay, cool. That's a piece. And he drops the Felicity bomb in 17. He drops the bomb. He says, hey, I was in her apartment. She didn't even know that I was there, man. You know, I'm taking the people that are closest to him. So I don't know necessarily who he thinks any of them are a threat. I don't think that Chase worries too much about the team. The, the team is all pieces to him. I think who he cares about the most is Oliver. That's his whole journey. You know, you see, you see what Chase is willing to lose, man. He kills his own wife to be able to get to this guy you know any loose ends he's been thinking about them <laughs> 10 steps earlier you know he's trying to tie up all those loose ends so if, if this thing go, goes awry in any way if one of the other members of the team were to get to me you know were to get to chase he already knows how he's going to pass that level you know Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, you know, the scissor reel came out recently, and Felicity mentions that Chase has been in the wind for about a week. Now that Chase has been revealed as the throwing star killer, how does that make him more dangerous going forward? Oh, man, you know, I loved that episode, the re the, uh, the reveal, and then, you know, I was wondering because I hadn't read, sorry, man, I'm losing track of the numbers, but I hadn't read the beginning of the next episode, I think it was 16, where Oliver goes, to uh, Talia to find out who, you know, who is, who is Prometheus. And she tells him, I love that that was right at the top of the next episode because it allowed, it allowed you to see that other part of Chase that maybe he was hiding behind the Prometheus mask. You know, that's at least what I'm thinking. 
when they when I read that episode, the Checkmate episode, I love that it was named Checkmate because he's got him in Checkmate. You know, he's he's now walking around unmasked. You know, when I first saw the Prometheus suit, I had to figure out why that suit was there, right? Like, why does this guy decide to design this suit? Okay, why does he decide to why does he decide to behind to be behind the mask? Sure, the easy answer is because he wants to hide his identity. But to me, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be because behind this mask, he's a monster. You know, there's a monster behind there. So when I get to finally unmask and you get to see that monster seething, you get to see that monster revel in it. Oh man, like that's what makes him dangerous is that he's out in the open now, but you still are behind, you know, like, man, the whole part of him being a masked, uh, you know, uh, the, the identity not being revealed. That was only one part of this whole thing, man. You know, like that's how I picture Chase looking at it going, that was only one part. You thought it was over once you found out who he was. No, this is, le- this is, this is years in the making. We're not going to end it like that, <laughs> you know? So that was, that's, that's what was fun after that reveal, you know. I think that's what makes him dangerous. Absolutely. It's definitely far from over. We're talking to Josh Segarra, of course, on Arrow, playing Adrian Chase and Prometheus every Wednesday night on The CW. Now, Nick just mentioned the sizzle reel, Josh, and we also saw that Talia Al Ghul is going to be returning at some point in the season. When we had Lexa Doig on the show not too long ago, we talked to her about Talia's powers of manipulation. So do you feel like she may be using that on Adrian, or is it maybe a skill that he's honed from her at this point? I, it's got to be a skill that he's honed, you know? It's got to be, you know, if she is, then hey, props to her, because she is the master manipulator, because in my head, Chase is the master manipulator. Everything is in preparation, but I love the idea. You know, we find out a little bit about their history, you know? She says he came to me, and but what was fun is that I got to make up my own history with her, right? You know, so for me, it's he goes to her and, and, and he, he acquires this skill set from her with, with the intention of going face to face with the arrow, you know, but what does he have that maybe Talia doesn't have? What does he have that maybe Oliver doesn't have? And to me, it was the acumen to become district attorney, you know, like I, I always picture like a random, you know, like a, maybe like a web series of just Adrian Chase in law school. <laughs> you know, just like, yes. Yes. How to like write a deposition, you know, like how to like handle the court. You know, that's what I picture him doing for a couple years while like he goes home to his wife, you know, and he keeps in touch with his mom. He's texting her, letting her know what he's doing. You know, like that's what I picture him doing for all these years of preparation to kill the Green Arrow. You could see, so you could hear learned the, that like manipulation aspect of it from Talia. You know, you could hear that creepy Prometheus music in the background while he's taking the bar exam. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like somebody like asking for a pen and he throws it at them. <laughs> oh, oh yes, yes. He's he's just studying for the bar exam. He's like making throwing stars at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, like, sweetie, what are you doing? Nothing. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm we... doing important stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm killing the green arrow, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus. And, and speaking of and speaking of the green arrow, of course, Stephen Amell posts on his various social media accounts just pictures of him in different places with a cutout of your head so 
what was your initial uh, reaction to those gosh. photos and what would a road trip with you and steven look like oh my god man dude we had we you know we had we had it all set up we were gonna go down to wrestlemania together we're both big wrestling fans you know funny story i was actually at SummerSlam last year and they cut to me in the audience, I was in the second row, sitting right behind Colin, Colin yeah. Donald, you know him, mm-hmm. of course. Yep, yep. So I know Colin outside of this world. So I see Colin, I'm like, what are you doing, bro? He's like, I'm here for Steve's match. I was like, oh my God, man, that's awesome. So we're laughing, blah, blah, blah. I watched Steve kill it, you know, big fan of his. After that, even more so, because I'm seeing him, like, hold his own, you know, in that match. Mm-hmm. So, and fast forward, of course, hilarious small world, you know, it's just a cool thing. So we make plans to uh, uh, go to WrestleMania, and then, man, you guys know the business, bro. I get a text from my boss that says, buddy, we can't change the schedule. We need you. And I say, ah, okay. So me and Steve, you know, shed a couple tears about our missed road trip. And, uh, you know, he's like, buddy, I won't go, you know, if, if you can't make it. I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? It's WrestleMania, man. You go enjoy yourself. So, man, like the good guy that he is, what do you think he does? I get a text message of the week of. I'm like mid-tears of not going to WrestleMania. And I get a text from him going, hey, don't worry. This fucker's coming with me. And it's a giant <laughs> cut out of my head. <laughs> my ass off, man. And then I, on Sunday of WrestleMania, every hour on the hour, I'm getting a text from this fool with my head next to the big show, next to Christian. I'm seeing myself on the front row with the best tickets in the house. I'm seeing myself drinking beer. I'm seeing myself checking into the hotel. Oh, my God. Dude. If, if that man was in front, I would have put him in a sleeper hold so fast. I would have passed him out so fast. I was like, dang it, dude. I had the best time, man. Like, he was just, he made me laugh, man. It just shows what kind of a good cat he is, man. He made me laugh on a day that I could have been so sad, which I was, bro. I think I ate my feelings that day. I had, like, an entire pizza. I had, I went and got ice cream. I got the Chinese food after for dessert. I was just eating my feelings away, bro. Enjoying the day in the cardboard cutout. So... You know, I, I think you got a good, uh, a good, uh, a good road trip out of that one. So next year when we go to WrestleMania, we'll keep you posted with the uh, in-person updates. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's think about this for a second, then. Okay. So if Adrian Chase Prometheus could take one wrestler from the wrestling world, doesn't have to be current. We can take it back a little bit if you like to have as a tag team partner. Okay. Who would you choose? All right, but who's my opponent? Tell me that. Your Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell is your opponent and okay. a, an opponent of your choosing. And who's his partner? Give me his partner. Give me his partner. I gotta uh, know these things, man. I gotta figure out who's gonna help me in there. Let's uh, see. Should we go? Hmm. I mean, should we go a little hardcore and go Stone Cold? Let's go Stone Cold. Let's go Stone Cold. All right. Okay. I like Stone Cold. So you got Stephen Stone Cold. I mean, I'd have to go The Rock, right? You know. You know what I'm saying? We'll go, yeah, we'll go late 90s, The Rock, maybe early 2000s, get him up. But if we're going current, you know, if he's got Stone Cold, I'm loving Samoa Joe right now. I'm loving Ooh. the bruiser. You know, I love his, yeah. I love the way that they introduced him right now. I might, uh, I might, uh, I might ask Seth Rollins if he can come join me. I might even have The Miz come join me because that's the A-lister right there, right? So, yeah. you know, we keep it A-list, right? The get architect, though, Seth Rollins. Trump I like that. that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, come on. The architect would be great, you know? Oh, man, but are you I'm kidding kind me, dude? Of... I would love to sit in that ring and mix it up, man. But if I got to do with The Rock, 
Him and Stone Cold, me and The Rock, finally The Rock and Chase have come back. That'd be awesome, man. I smelled what The Rock was cooking, and I liked it. (laughs) Yeah, bro. Uh, Exactly. We're talking about the match, but I want to figure out who's also going to cut some really good promos, you know? Like, who's going to give us some really good mic work? And I think that's that's the combo right there. Stone Cold, Steve Amell, Josh Segura, and The Rock. Let's do this, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, Josh, before we get you out of here, man, without spoiling anything, what's something about Adrian Chase we are going to learn in these upcoming episodes that has you the most excited? When we got to learn who Prometheus was and revealed that Chase was Prometheus, you know, one of the things I got excited about was kind of taking the lid off that can, right? Because all year we're trying to keep the lid on tight. So we get to rip rip that off, but... Man, as an actor, bro, as an artist, you know, not to be not to be nerdy, but hey, we're on the Down and Nerdy podcast, bro. So allow me to be nerdy for a second. Man, like, what I want to show you guys is what's inside that can. You know, like I want to show you his heart. You know, I want to show you what got him here. You know, he's lost this guy. He's lost a lot of things on this journey. He's given up a lot. He sacrificed a lot to get to this point where he can be face-to-face with, with Oliver, with the Green Arrow. And that's my job, man. My job is to show you what's inside this guy, you know? My job is to show you what, what the blood and guts are inside him. And that's what I'm excited to show you guys because, because I, I, I hope we get there for you, you know? I hope we, I hope we get to learn about that, what's inside the pit of his stomach, you know, and I, I think we shed that a little bit. You know, I, I, we're we're ripping the layers off the arrow, but I think at the same time we're ripping the, the layers off Chase now too, you know? Absolutely. Now your job as fans is to watch Arrow every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock on the CW to see what this guy has in store for you. It's Adrian Chase slash Prometheus, Josh Segura. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Fellas, man, this was so fun. Thank you, dude. Thank you. You know, James, we've done, what, 160 episodes? Yeah, yeah a lot, man, a lot. <laughs> this had to be by far one of, if not my most favorite interview we've ever done. I mean, it was not only was it so much fun, is Josh such a cool, cool guy, but the way he broke down every little thing and how into playing Adrian Chase and Prometheus he is, I mean, how can you not get excited? How can anybody not get excited about the upcoming episodes of Era? Well, especially when he's talking about, you know, we couldn't break Oliver early because, you know, he, he went through all these other trials and he didn't break, so we couldn't break him too early. And I loved how he was just breaking down piece by piece how he got into the character and, and how that whole scene, that whole episode went and just the blocking of everything. And you know what he when he's just looking at the Prometheus costume, what is he going through? Like, how should he portray the guy? And I loved that he was talking about sitting down with Mark Guggenheim and saying, you know, hey, we want him to be more of a Hannibal Lecter. You know, we want him to be the Hannibal Lecter to Oliver Queen. And he nails it. He really nails it. I will say this. I know us and a couple of people had some reserves, like, after the reveal, like, ah, we thought it would have been somebody else. But every episode since that reveal has just shown, okay, this is why He's so dangerous. This is why him as Prometheus works. This is why everything is just so goddamn amazing. And going to the whole wrestling thing, I mean, I think we got 
really the we got I think the big breaking news was the, the whole gist and the whole substance to the story of why Stephen Mal was going around WrestleMania with a, a cutout of his head. Makes perfect <laughs> sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> but you know, we were talking about the match and you know between him and Mal and Stone Cold and The Rock. A, a, a name that came up to my head in terms of like, okay, if Adrian Chase is taking on Oliver Queen in like a tag match, somebody that comes to my mind in terms of similarity, in terms of how they think, the Viper, Randy Orton. I'm uh, surprised he didn't say Randy Orton. Oh, uh, the Viper. The legend killer? Yeah, and think about this too. I mean, the kind of whole RKO out of nowhere. That's a Prometheus MO too. I mean, just out of nowhere. He just takes you out, man. He takes you oh, down. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, man, that would have been a good tag team partner. I'm, see, now he's hearing this and going, man, you're right. That would be <laughs> awesome. Of course, I think Josh would take half the WWE roster anyway. If we right. Him, so. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if you notice, no mention of John Cena anywhere. <laughs> no, nope, nope, definitely no mention of John Cena at all. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just so great, man. I mean, the way that they evolved Chase and – you know, you can count. You can kind of see. Okay, maybe it's him being Prometheus early on. But again, just they give you reasons in the episodes following his reveal of why it is the way it is. You know, it's kind of like when you see something in a comic book and you're in a comic, you're like, well, that doesn't make much sense, or it might be a little odd. But then you're like, wait till issue two, and then you're in issue three, yeah. and then you see the reason why. You're like, oh shit, this is why. Oh my god. And it's just beautiful. It's perfect. And again, Josh just does an amazing, amazing job of bringing Prometheus to life. And also, I love the fact that the guy asked him, are you vigilante? He's like, yeah, dude, I am. <laughs> and now we have to wait for that, too. So, <laughs> But man, I mean, it's just one of those things where, where he goes from, it's like, a, oh, okay, so that's Prometheus, too. He might be the the most challenging villain on arrow ever i will i think he is because of the fact that he broke oliver he is the one person who did something that nobody else did and he yeah. he broke the green arrow and, and props to josh because i mean not just the writing team on arrow as well but props for josh to taking it to that next level and making that happen for chase and prometheus i mean because that just doesn't happen you know if you just roll it out there the what the heart and soul that he brought to this role i think is one of the reasons that this worked yeah, man. Hey, that's going to do it for episode 160 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. And thanks to Josh Cigar for taking time out of his busy schedule and talking everything Prometheus and Arrow. And hey, you want more of us after you watch Arrow Wednesdays at 8 p.m.? Be sure to hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash down and nerdy. We're also on Twitter at down and nerdy 757. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. At Merck with one arm, the one is spelled out. Mr. Witham, where can they find you? I'm a James A. Switham on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. All of this information, by the way, on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find out even more about what's going on with Arrow. You can buy the season if you've been enjoying it so much. You can get that on Amazon Instant and find even more comic book reviews. And we've got a ton of them up at downandnerdypodcast.com. And you know, James, after this episode, we can now say, I interviewed Josh Segarra, and I liked it!